Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing journeys, find out how they broke into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. Um, There is a whole great back catalogue of authors, journalists, screenwriters, video game writers, comedians, comic writers and any other kind of writer you can think of. So please do check that out if you haven't already. Um, Before we get on to this week's guest, we just wanted to remind you that we are launching a newsletter which will give out uh, some of the writing hints and tips of uh, past guests along with just updates about the podcast uh, and what we've been up to along with a discount for a discount code for our writer's notebook so that's not incentive i don't know what exactly exactly so if you head to our website um rightgear.co.uk slash podcast you'll be able to sign up for that newsletter uh, and obviously you can unsubscribe at any time (laughs) if, if it is not to your liking but i'm sure it will be um but we have a great guest this week and i'm going to let Tarek introducer <laughs> we have a great guest this week and i've been listening to the pronunciation online to make sure i get it right we are chatting with lilia sugra daughter who is uh i believe that was flawless uh, of course anyone, anyone i was going to be mean and get you to repeat it there but I won't. <laughs> um and so she's an icelandic author born in iceland raised in mexico sweden spain trained in england she's been all over the place and she is a scandi noir kind of icelandic noir uh, author who's written some really fantastic books and um, our books have now kind of started to come into English translation so there's a lot of exciting stuff there um, and yes yeah, it's, it's a really fun chat we have with her a lot of interesting stuff she's done whereas it's plays tv shows it's yeah really interesting career and and also the the story of how she actually got into writing is a is a very interesting one as well. It was a, it was a competition, um, but I won't I won't spoil it. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, very interesting route into into writing, and you know, just hearing about her process as well, and the, the sort of um, approach that she takes to to crafting these these novels. Which and we also we also look at the question of you know, you say Scandi Noir, and there is a sort of um, stereotype i suppose mm-hmm. of that that type of writing coming from scandinavia and we we chat about that and whether the next step of getting writers from around the world read in different countries is to explore different kinds of writing from these countries as well because you know a, an icelandic comedy might be a very different type of comedy yeah. than we're used to but might equally be as compelling to us as as their crime yeah, stories are. We're definitely seeing, a, I think, a rise of um, of people willing to read translated works or watch mm-hmm. foreign films. And and yeah, I mean, absolutely, totally right. There is a wealth of stuff out there that is different than what you're used to, and that's only a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So um, we'll get straight on with it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's great guest as well. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. 
but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. I always begin the podcast with a, a variation of the same question, which is, did you always want to be a writer? Because I think I'm right in saying that you had quite a, a winding path to, to becoming a writer. Is that fair to say? That, that, that is fair to say, yes. Um, yes, when I was a child, I, I read a lot and I was very inspired by many books and I really, really wanted to be a writer. But um, then you grow up and life kind of takes over. Um, when I was young, I used to write short stories, poetry and so on, you know, publish in the school paper and that sort of thing. Um but then, uh, you know, I took an um, education path. I first trained as a secretary, then I uh, studied education and uh, worked as a school inspector for many years. Um, and then just one day I saw an advertisement from, uh, from an Icelandic publisher that uh, were looking for a crime novel. And they said that the title of the competition was We Are Looking for the New Dan Brown. So <laughs> <laughs> I decided that could be me. <laughs> yeah. and, and did you have something written that you could submit or did you start writing when you saw that? No, uh, I, I just decided to write the novel. So I did okay. that, you know, uh, in eight months, you know, during my lunch break mostly and nights um, and sent it in. And this was the year 2008. And that is a very dramatic uh, year for mm -hmm. Iceland because of the financial meltdown. Mm -hmm. So uh, they cancelled, the publisher cancelled the competition because <laughs> the prize money kind of evaporated. <laughs> 
like all, all Icelandic money. Everything in the Icelandic banks just disappeared. So, um, so they cancelled the competition, but they still wanted to publish the book. And and out of this competition came uh, uh, myself and another Icelandic writer called Ragnar Jónasson. Oh, okay. Uh, so this was how we both started. Um, in in writing you know not oh wow so you, you so you both started from the same the same competition yes that's brilliant oh, that's good yeah and uh we still don't know who is the new dan brown <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he thinks it's him but i know it's me <laughs> you know? and so was, was that was that novel uh, steps was that the first one steps yes yeah uh-huh. yeah and then so so you, you you got through to the end and what happened after that did that lead to a publishing contract or did it lead to an agent yeah well the publisher wanted another one you know a sequel to the first one uh it got really good reviews didn't really sell much uh, but i wrote another one and they published that one uh and then uh, i um, i was busy working for the ministry of education in iceland and doing all sorts of projects and uh, i was invited um, to take part in a like a theater workshop and that led to me writing a stage play uh, which was then staged and was a very very successful uh, play here in iceland so um for a while i tried to become a, a you know a, a playwright Mm-hmm. But there is not much of a market for playwrights in Iceland. I think you can be very happy to get <laughs> one or two stages during your lifetime. So we have only like three professional theatres and then smaller groups, you know. So uh, so I turned back to crime after a while. And, uh, and then I went, to, you know, with a bigger publisher, Iceland's biggest publisher called Forlaith, and uh, wrote a book that's called Snare in English. And that one just became kind of an instant success. Um, it just was, it, it was sold to many, many countries, published in many languages. And uh, and uh, since then, I, I mean, I, I had to stop working because I couldn't <laughs> do both at the same time. You know, I had to travel so much uh, for the books and all sorts of, sorts of publicity and then write another one. And, you know, um, and since then I've been a, a professional writer full time. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, I, I, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like this, but it almost sounds like you, it happened by chance in a way that mm-hmm. your your career as a writer. I mean, yeah. were were you writing stuff anyway, or was was Steps really the first thing you decided to write? Yeah, it was my first novel. I was writing. I mean, I was writing texts. I was writing handbooks for teachers and the sort of you know uh, professional stuff. And and every every type of writing is kind of a practice for mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a career. You know, writing writing uh, fiction because uh, just this training of getting your thoughts down into words. I think it doesn't really matter what you're writing. It's all training for that. Yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I write really, really, really fast. <laughs> so <laughs> that is my superpower. <laughs> yeah. When you when you went on when you went on to write the the stage play, um, you know, how did you find writing that in comparison to writing a novel, writing a, a script? Because I take it that's big, big, big babies, which is the twenty thirteen yes. play, which did really well. I was reading about that. It did. It won the Performing Arts Award for the best play of the year. I mean. I mean, how did you find writing that and then getting that recognition that it done so well? It must have been quite satisfying. 
yes, yes. It, it was really nice. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different kind of a technique because you have to get everything into the dialogue. Mm. When you are working for the visual media, I mean, you have so little uh, room for descriptions and you have no insight into the thoughts of the characters. So everything has to come across in the dialogue. Um, mm. And that's the same as with uh, script writing. So it's a, it's a different approach, uh, but it's all about telling stories. So in a way, it's the same thing. You know, uh, you want to have characters that you engage with and, and tell a story. But um, I really enjoyed working for the theater. It was amazing to work with the actors and the, and the di directors and uh, see something that you see your story and your text uh, take on like another layer and then another other layer when all the other artists add their stuff to it, you know, mm -hmm. all, all the way up to the technical stuff and the music and the lights and everything, you know, it's just, and it, you know, create something much, much bigger than you could have thought, you know, um, it's quite, quite an amazing thing, a very enjoyable and uh, very fulfilling. Is it, is it more collaborative as a process? It is, yes. Yeah. So it's, a, it's like a social function. I mean, sometimes I would write uh, like a new passage during the night and bring mm. it to the, to the actors in the morning and they would try it out and then I had to change it if it didn't sound right. You know, it's a completely different uh, different approach to writing well when you're doing a novel you just sit on your own in my room and you know just um you know control everything yeah mm -hmm. um but it's um but it it was also satisfying to get like a like a recognition as a writer is a bit of a, like a literary snobbery in iceland as everywhere <laughs> So people, you know, because I had written crime before and mostly crime since, people were like, oh, you can write. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm, you know, you're, you're proper writer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, it's just, um, you know, so I, I, I don't have any um, kind of, um, you know, I have a lot of confidence in my writing because I know I can write a lot of different stuff. So, um but I choose crime because I love crime myself. And and what is your writing process? You know, when it comes to writing books, do you do you do a lot of planning? Do you kind of pants as you as you go along? Is it a case of thinking of ideas, or is it quite flowing? Yes, um, for me, it always starts. You know, with the with the character. Uh, I get an idea of a character, and then the story kind of builds around that character. Uh, my first books I didn't plan at all. Um, I just sat down and started, you know, and then uh, just, you know, <laughs> punched through it somehow. <laughs> but uh, I, I realized in my fourth or fifth book that uh, some degree of planning is good. It saves you a lot of work <laughs> afterwards, you know, later. So uh, now I kind of plan... Um, I, I usually know where I'm going, you know. I, yeah. I know what towards what end I'm going. But uh, now I plan, like, roughly, I plan the ha half of the book uh, because I know when I'm into half of it, things will change, you know. The story <clears throat> will kind of take over. So um, if I plan, I, if I would plan a whole novel, I mean, it would be work that I wouldn't use, I think. Um, and And do you... Do you sort of try and push through to the end of a draft and then revise at that stage, or are you someone that um, revises as you go? Because you said you were 
a very fast writer, but does that mean you get the full draft out first and then rework it, or are you revising as you go? It's 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 kind of strange. I have this. I mean, I have an amazing editor, which uh, I I trust very much, and <laughs> uh, and work I've been now working with for um, seven books. So um, I I don't really revise that much. I I write really fast, but like uh, every day I start by reading through what I wrote yesterday. Sometimes I start at the beginning and read all the way through and, you know, where I am now um, and fix things. So, um, and I I try, you know, to be conscious of not getting into um, having to fix things afterwards because then you, yeah. especially with a crime novel, you can end up in a, like a kind of a time loop and <laughs> get horribly. I've, I've, I've uh, made that mistake once, but... Uh, but yeah, I, I go through the, the first draft, send it to the editor, and then we just edit it. It's um, Sometimes she has some comments about um, a few things, but usually nowadays not about the... not about the, the storyline or the, or the, you know... Um, it's, it's mostly the finer, finer things, yeah. you know. Uh, and this, this is something that happens, I think, with training. You get better at, at what you do a lot of. Um, but I really hate editing. So um, I think it's also laziness. So I try <laughs> to, like, have uh, turned the manuscript in in the best possible uh, form uh, so I don't get it back with a lot of red ink, you know. Because yeah. I, I really hate that. It's, I, I would rather, I would rather, uh, you know, write a whole new book than edit one. You know, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 your first, so the first book that you wrote that was translated uh, to a wider audience was Snare, which is yes. the first of your Reykjavik trilogy, a noir trilogy about a woman who's forced to smuggle drugs in order yes. to make ends meet, and 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 that was a really big big hit. And I I, I wondered. As someone who, I imagine we've actually spoken to someone on the podcast before who's had their work translated into English. Um, you know, how is that? How does it work? The translation rights, and and as someone who speaks English yourself, yeah, do you have any say over it? Do you have any? Do you choose a translator? Do you get any input in it, into it at all? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, my my English publisher is Orenda Books, who is a, a small independent publisher, so. Um, it's always this kind of personal connection, which I think is very nice. Um, and I mean, my, my foreign rights agency here in Iceland, uh, because in Iceland, we don't have agents. We have uh, the, the uh, my publisher has a foreign rights agency. And okay. they oh, uh, present the books to, to foreign publishers and some of them buy, you know, and then they negotiate, you know, uh, who's going to be the translator and all that. Um, so that my translator into English is uh, is a friend of mine and was a friend before called Quentin Bates, and he is a crime writer himself. Uh, so, I mean, it's a really um, nice cooperation. I mean, he translates the first draft. I read it over and fix if there's you know some misunderstanding or something, uh, and then it goes to uh, to an editor that puts everything into kind of um, international English. Because Orenda Books publishes just one version for the mm-hmm. the world English market, you know, um, US, Canada, England, Australia, everyone. So uh, all these um, 
something that's specifically English sayings or something is taken out and replaced with something. <clears throat> and then I read it over again. So it's a it's a kind of a different process because I don't really read other languages, not, yeah. not to be able to comment on on a translation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a different process for English. I really like it to be involved, and it's a really strange feeling to see your own text in another language because it, yeah. I, I recognize the story, but it doesn't really feel like mine. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I was going to say like. The, the translated novels, you know, it's a skill in and of itself, isn't it? It's almost, it's, it isn't just a straight word for word translation. It's, it's uh, you, you have to tell it in the way that that audience is going to understand it and be engaged with it, which wouldn't work with a straight word to word translation. So, yeah, it, I think sometimes translators don't get credit. And I know there has been a push yeah. recently to try and get them more credit because it can really make a difference. I think there's a story about, was it, I can't remember, was it Lord of the Rings or Dracula or something that was translated? Was it into, I think it might have been into, it was into a Scandinavian language. I can't remember which one, but it was a completely different story, it turned out, that they'd, because they didn't know. So the, the person had just gone off and written their own story almost yeah. on the back of it. Yeah, I mean, for Icelanders, I mean, it's translators, I mean, I cannot emphasize it enough how important they are for us mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, it, we, you know, uh, it's such a small language. We are 350,000 speakers. Uh, and, uh, and, I mean, being able to get your work onto a, a bigger readership is, like, incredibly important. Um, so, I mean, I love my translators. I think they're amazing people and it's such an important job that they do because it, it um, keeps, in a way, it keeps Icelandic alive, which is yeah. a kind of a dying, dying language because we are able to have, you know, writers that write in the language uh, for the Icelandic readers and then, you know, the, 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 the world, you know, other readers uh, can enjoy it also and so we can export some of our culture as well. What, what's the what's the market like in in Iceland in terms of being a writer? Because obviously, mm-hmm. in the UK, that you know you hear stories of agents getting hundreds, if not thousands, of queries a week and all this sort of thing. I mean, is yeah. there a big literary scene in Iceland? It is quite big, and when you think of it, I mean, we publish a lot of books every every year mm-hmm. for a small nation and yeah. um, and we but we publish um, almost only in the autumn in october and november so it's called the christmas book flood because <laughs> we have uh, this tradition of giving books as a as a christmas gift mm-hmm. so all books crime and otherwise is published in uh, hardback because they are intended as a gift oh. and then after christmas maybe in in like paperback um but it's, I mean, Icelanders do read a lot and they buy a lot of books, which is, uh, of course, very nice for us writers. Um, but it's, I mean, I think it's basically the same everywhere. It's like more people are called to it than have success in getting published. And then, uh, I mean, you maybe you get published in Iceland, but uh, it's such a big element of luck also. 
I mean, some really good writers never get their work translated into other languages, so they're stuck with a maybe rather small readership in yeah. Iceland and never, you know, never being able to devote themselves to it, you know. Uh, and that's the same, I guess, everywhere. But, um, you know, um, but I, I think uh, we have been lucky with, uh, because we have had uh, in the crime fiction genre giants like Arnaldur Indriðason and Irsa Sigurðardóttir who have been like, uh, they have kind of paved the way for, mm-hmm. for the rest of us, you know, of the younger writers so we can, you know, um, present our work uh, to the world, which is great. And I, I wanted to ask about, you, you mentioned that in Iceland there's no agents, so does every author go straight to the publisher? And if, if that's the case, how does it work in terms of, you know, you know someone having your back or, or, or who protects the authors from the publisher who maybe just gives them a bad deal? Is there, is there nothing at all? Nobody. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, have a, we do have a writer's union. Okay. But that's more of a social club in a way. Um, but uh, they, of course, give advice and you they give out like a model contract that you can like uh, you can check your contract towards the model contract and know um, how, you know, how it compares. Um, so there's all kind of kinds of deals going on, you know, um, but but you just hand in your manuscript to the publisher. And so therefore, because it's a lot of unsolicited stuff there, they have piles and piles of stuff that they have to go through. So that's the downside mm-hmm. for them of not getting something that an agent is representing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's I mean, it's quite special, probably because it's also such a small society in Iceland is that uh, you kind of have this um, kind of friendship um, uh, relationship with your publisher. I mean, yeah. uh, I feel really, really lucky to be with the big, big publisher who is uh, the, the, the far biggest publisher in Iceland. So they have a punch and they promote your books and they, you know, they will sell them and, uh, and so on. And I, I, uh, I mean, have a relationship with them that I trust them and and I know it's in both our interests to for you know for my books to do good and then they have this kind of sub um, they have this agent that they work which is my foreign rights agent and they they work like uh, or like an agency so they mm-hmm. work like any other agent abroad you know but in Iceland regarding the Icelandic publisher there's just you and the publisher so okay, interesting. yeah it's it's not always good for the for the new people with, with maybe smaller publishers that are not quite sure how to do things and so on so but it's it's a job yeah. yeah I mean I suppose it's yeah it has I suppose I can see it has advantages and disadvantages I suppose mm-hmm. it's slightly less gatekeepers but that works that's good and bad I suppose you know yeah. as as you've just discussed um, and you you so you did the um what's called the Reykjavik Noir trilogy um and then um followed that up with the uh, Aurora Investigation trilogy and the, the, the last book in that came uh out last year now <laughs> White as Snow but but it's a, it's a, it's not a trilogy now. Oh, is that not a trilogy? Okay. No, I'm writing okay. the fourth one now. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, they're gonna be five, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. cool. Okay, yeah. awesome. And then I had a little, um, or not, not a little, but a political standalone thriller in between. Um, 
And that one was quite uh, special for me because it did really, really good in Iceland um, and the Nordic countries, but not in the English speaking world. And I, I guess it's because the politics are so different. It's a completely mm -hmm. different system. And it just, I don't think it didn't, I don't think it made any sense to a lot of um, the English readers. But is it, is it different working on a standalone as opposed to an ongoing series? Um, when you're writing an ongoing series, are you, obviously you're focused on the book that you're writing on, but do you have sort of ideas for a broader story or development in the other book? Yeah. I mean, this, this um, political thriller I wrote was supposed to be a series, right. but then I finished the book and it just, there wasn't more there. I was just like, okay, now I say goodbye to you and uh, I'm starting something else. It's yeah. quite a funny feeling because I had, you know, ideas and I could have structured a whole other novel for this character, but uh, it just wasn't, you know, um, the drive, the passion wasn't there for it, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but I was really happy with the book, you know, but it was like, oh, now this is finished. Because it's, I mean, you can plan a lot of things, but it's its kind of always, a, for me, it's a very organic process, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and my belief is that you cannot really force yourself to write things that you're, that you don't want to, in a way. I mean, you can write all sorts of practical stuff and all that, but, but like if you're going to engage in a novel, which is like, uh, tens of thousands of words and it's going to take you months I mean you have to be passionate for the story you have mm -hmm. it has to be a story that you really want to tell um, so I feel I mean that's always the key thing for me it it has to be you know something that I'm yeah really... I, I think that can come through as for the reader as well if if a, a novel's been written yeah to fill a you know fulfill a contract or something then it kind of comes through in the in the reading of it as well that it's not it it's not what the the person actually wanted to write so i think you're I, right I think you so. really need to feel yeah. the yeah. passion for the story yeah um, I, I, I was i was just going to ask with with the Reykjavik noir trilogy as well just before we move on from that um i think cage one guardian book of the year it won best icelandic crime book of the year and you sold the film rights to that as well. Um, uh, and I think production is due to start. Is, is that right? I just wondered if you could update yes, us on what yes, was happening was with looking that. Looking at the, at the series Bible yesterday, it looks oh, good. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so I hope, awesome. hope things are moving forward, you know, but uh, I mean, the film industry, it's such a slow process. I am, yeah. I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> oh my God, I would die if I was a film director. I, I, I wouldn't survive it. It's like waiting, 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 you know, nothing happening for a while. And then something happens and you get all, all excited. But yeah, I, I hope we will see it as a series in the next couple of years. I so are they know. adapting each book, Snare, Trap and Cage? Is, yes. is, is, is that a plan to do, do a film yes. for each book? It's, it will be, a, I think, 10 episode series each. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting how how they're doing it and, and how we are doing it because I'm on the writing team. But uh, it's we, we will write the backstory for each of the characters. So there will be new stuff there for mm -hmm. the ones that have written, the ones have, the people that have read the books. So, uh, yeah, I'm, 
you know, I think I think it will be good TV. I I hope so. <laughs> and and, and then with that, oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I was just I was just going to say with that, if you're on the writing team for that, and you're yeah. you're getting other people presumably as well writing about writing about these characters and these stories that that were yours were in yeah. your head. Um, how does that feel? Seeing other people sort of playing with these characters as well. Yeah, this is something that I learned from the theatre. Because so many writers are, you know, protective of their characters and of their work, and uh, they don't want it changed and so on. Uh, but I, I really got my training in this in the theatre, and to see when you give, when you let go and give other people uh, the chance to come in with their own uh, stuff, it it will grow. You know, everything mm-hmm. will grow, and it's a, it's an amazing thing to see how it happens. So I actually love it because yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's what I think. For me, the 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 fear, I suppose, the fear I would have would be someone adapts it who doesn't understand it, perhaps, or 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 does a bad job of it. But then the flip side of that is that they stick too close to the material and they don't change it enough to fit the medium, and it, and it, yes. it doesn't land properly on TV. You know, because I have no problem with. I know there's a lot of folk have problems with like even the Harry Potter films because they change scenes and they drop characters. But I think as long as then as long as the um, feeling is right and and the and the, yeah. the aim and the, of, of, the, of the scene tallies up with where the book's going that's the main thing it's not going to be word yeah. for word no ex- exactly uh, you are so right and also i mean you always have to think that the the tv has its own rules and it, it's yeah. its own own uh, kind of media and that has to work in itself and then of course try to be loyal to the story that you're presenting uh so that's kind of tricky and 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 uh, you kind of have to be flex and open to that um but it's 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 amazing i, I mean there's uh, inquiries now uh, about one of my other books from a, from an indian film company you know wow. it's like a, cool. a culture that's so far away and i was like wow that, <laughs> i mean I, I think it's so exciting to see what what those you know film producers yeah. would, would bring to the mix you know uh, and due to the story, I mean, it's it's really uh, interesting. I, awesome. I love that, and uh, and and I think it's it's um, I think it's either. I mean, when you are a writer, I mean, Anne Cleve said to me that uh, the best thing you can do is just let go. You know, just mm-hmm. you know, if it's going, it's going into somebody other's hands, and it's going to be their creation, and you can see, you know, your story there. But uh, I think it was really good advice because uh, mm. you have to be like ready to let your story go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and the, the book the book is always there. If, if you know, if if if, yeah. if, if, <laughs> if 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 someone makes a mess of it on the screen or whatever, then exactly. you've still got the, you can redirect. Like, I always back. I always find that so it makes me laugh. And if you, it's always remakes to get it. Like whenever someone remakes a classic film, people go mad, and it's like, yeah. well. You, they're not going to burn the copies of the old film, you know. If it's crap, it's yeah. crap. But they're not going to take it away. It's it That's might be it might be good. Who knows? Like yeah, people. It's it's funny. People do when they get um, like caught up in something or when they love something and it's it's hard. They can't let even if it's not theirs, they can't let it go and just yeah. enjoy something for what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like the new version replaces the old one. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Addition, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And and but obviously you've already got some screen screenwriting experience with yeah. uh, Kapla, which was your Netflix show, which yeah. came out last year now, I think. 
And and I know you wrote an episode, uh, episode two was yours and stuff. And you know, I kind of wondered how did that come about? Was that something which you wanted to do for a while, get into the world of TV? Yes, yes. I've been uh, trying to get myself into the screenwriting world for for years. Uh, it's a very closed. Uh, man's world in Iceland, I think you can say. Um, but uh, but uh, I ha- had been working uh, with Baltasar Kormakur on another um, screenplay, which is um, will not go into production, I think, in the next years. But it's um, it's a uh, it's a TV version of um, Independent People by by Halldór Laxness, who is our you know um, only Nobel laureate. It's an amazing story, and and Baltasar has dreamed of making a TV series uh, from it. And we've been working on that for years, like really slowly. It's a it's a big thing to take on. Um, so when Katla production started, you know, uh, I was already trained as a, as a screenwriter, you know, just by by working on lots of different small projects uh, through the years, also, and and this work with Baltasar. Um, so um, I was on the team and that was really great fun. Um, we did the storyline together, the team, and then uh, each of us took, um, you know, uh, different numbers of ed- episodes. Uh, and that's one of those magical things that happen. You know, you, you work with the characters, you create the settings and the places and, uh, you know, the story. And then all these other artists come in and, and, you know, when you have a film crew is around 100 people, you know, that <clears> everyone <throat> is contributing something, you know, even the, like uh, the guy spraying ash everywhere, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> if you've seen Catlight, it's very ashy, very dark. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, and that's, uh, that's, uh, it creates a kind of magic, which I, I love it. And it's always it comes out differently than you think and usually better. I think, yeah. And and w- when you're so so, I think your your credit with episode two. But does that, how does that work? You you said you all work on the the full storyline. Then you each writer or something will get an episode. But do you then all sort of have input into each other's episodes to try and make yes. it all one voice almost? Yeah, in a way. I mean, uh, we we uh, go through the episodes, we go through each character and each event, you know, like uh, quite thoroughly. And then we go off and write our episodes. Uh, and then, you know, because we created the storyline together, I mean, each writer gets uh, like storyline credit. So I have storyline credit for five episodes uh, and um, writers, uh, you know, credit for one. <laughs> so... Um, so and that's that's how it works because the first uh, episode was mostly uh, the the main idea was there and it's also a tradition that the producer gets like uh, uh, created by credit and and usually a writer's credit on the first one um, okay and then the last one was like changed quite a lot towards the end so there are other other right I was out of the project then and into another project so uh, there are other writers with that one but uh, it's uh, even if we knew where we were going you know yeah so, uh, but it was nice it was Iceland's I mean biggest tv production so far it was very expensive very big uh, and uh, I think we we are all very proud of it it um it streamed really well but it was too distributed around the world so it they won't have another series right okay, or okay. Another season. 
I mean, are we are we seeing you know is the is is are places like Netflix and streaming services are they really enabling places like 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 Iceland and Scandinavian countries or, or small countries that don't speak English to to really kind of break into that market? Is it easier now than it was before? Are people more open to watching foreign? Absolutely. I mean, I think it it, it has been great for us. I mean, uh, and I think for all smaller nations, and I think every everyone that's not dominated by the Anglo-Saxon, you know, language. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I find it myself as a viewer. I love TV, but now I can be watching Korean shows. Yeah. Yeah. I could be watching something from India, South America, you know, stuff that I would never have seen, or you know, on Icelandic TV, you know. So. I really love it. And that's the thing, like Katla, this dark Icelandic half sci-fi psychological thriller, you know, from Iceland. And it streams really, really well in South America. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you have no idea, you know. I mean, people like their own things. You know, I love crime. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while you like to be surprised and uh, and uh, and sometimes you get like these uh, strange uh, like, uh, you know, uh, hit shows that that come and from an unexpected Squid side game. of the world, you know, corner of the world. So uh, yeah, I really I mean, love it. Uh, yeah. do, do you think though that people are starting to develop a um, expectation of a certain type of story from so in Iceland's case or yeah. Scandinavia more generally, a sort of noir story is is yeah. commonly thought of in Korea. It, seems to be a slightly you know slightly crazy but also yeah. <laughs> crime-ridden story as well coming out of there <laughs> you know do you think I think that's th- true I mean I mean yeah. when you look at Icelandic TV it's all quite dark isn't it mm-hmm. just the color black just rules everything yeah. well it does here for the most of the year I mean it's getting dark out now <laughs> you know <laughs> it's the winter darkness you know you wake up in dark you go to, come home in dark, you know, uh, but um, I, I think so. It, this this is right, and I think maybe the next step, you know, uh, is that you know we will be seeing maybe uh, new things coming from Scandinavia or Korea or wh- wherever. I mean, in in Iceland, for example, the series that is being uh, made out of snare. I think it's going to be more glossy and a little bit brighter than the usual TV. Um, that we have seen from Iceland. Nice. Because I mean, I think you can you can see the impact that the Scandi Nordic no, Nordic Noir kind of scenes had. I mean, it was it's been growing massively for for a while, obviously. But yeah. you, you know, you, you can see the impact around the world. I think you know you, you mentioned Anne Cleves, the Curse Shetland books, for instance. Yes. They're set in Scotland, but they're very influenced by that kind of look and the storytelling of it. You know, it's that kind of that same bleakness, the darkness, etc. So it's yeah. it's fascinating to see for such a a small part of the world almost, but it's, a, it's such a, a massive impact that's had across storytelling around the world. It, it's, it is amazing. And it must be quite, and I, I kind of wonder why that is, but I wonder if it is to do with the the landscape, is it? Is it the, 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 the as you say, the darkness? Is that all kind of playing to that? It kind of naturally leads to a dark story? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, it's, for us, of course, it's, it's, it's so hard to realise because it's, um, I mean, for us, Nordic Noir is just noir. It's yeah, all, yeah, it's totally, all you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, and uh, but but I mean, it's Henning Mankell, Sjöval and Valhoe, of course, introduced this 
this type of uh, or, or our type of uh, you know crime writing to the world but then i think stig larsson mm-hmm. you know um uh, the the girl with the dragon tattoo <laughs> and all these um they they really broke through and became such an international hit and that was very good for for all of us nordic writers because it uh, people suddenly realized yeah okay we can have you know um interesting stories and and i think i mean in for example france and germany people have been reading translations uh for years and uh, it's quite uh amazing that in france i think 40 percent of the of of everything that's published there is translations oh wow but the same in germany and in the english-speaking world it's less than five percent oh wow so i think i mean we still i mean you of course, English is such a big language. You have everything in your own language. You don't yeah. really need translations, do you? So, uh, I mean, you can find all types of things in, in English. But um, I think maybe, I mean, because also with the help of Netflix and the streaming services, you, you get like this insight into different cultures and then you become interested in the yeah. books and so yeah. on. So yeah, sure. I think you have a lot of exciting stuff coming your way, you know, into the English language in the in the next uh, decade or so. I think so. Yeah. I've got to ask about a story that's linked to Iceland but has nothing really to do with Iceland, I think. The, the Eurovision film, of course, was, yeah. um, <laughs> was, was set in Iceland. I mean, how did that go down in Iceland? Oh, we loved it. <laughs> okay. See, I mean, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this thing in Iceland about Eurovision, and this is why, why the, the film came to be, you know, uh-huh. is uh, Icelanders love Eurovision. I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, if you, if you walk the streets here, Eurovision night, they're empty. <laughs> so it was actually a documentary. The people that say they don't love it, they do. I mean, everyone is party in every single house, you know, and uh, it's such a festive moment. It's like Christmas, you know. I prepare it more than Christmas. <laughs> Usually. Uh, and uh, and it's. I think it is because I mean, we we were a colony until 1944. So we are, you know, very much uh, conscious of being an independent nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and we really, really like competitions, you know, international competitions. But we are really bad at most of them. <laughs> you know, when you have 350,000 people, you don't have so many world-class sports people or artists yeah. or whatever, you know. So we try to do the best of what we have. And we've been very optimistic that we might win Eurovision one day. Right. So at least, you know, everyone just sends a team and we have a lot of musicians. And it's been going well, but we've never won, you know. Um, but we're hoping to. But then there is another thing that a sport that we are actually very good at, which is handball. Uh, and now is the European handball championship going on. And tonight we are playing the Danish. And uh, the streets will be empty because <laughs> Danish are our former colonial masters, as you, yeah. <laughs> as you might guess. Uh, but... Uh, but it's what, what's that sport? I've I've never heard of that sport. No, I know most <laughs> most English speaking people have, you know. But the, the it's a quite a European sport. The Nordic right. countries are quite good at it: France, Germany, uh, Spain, and the Arabic countries, because um, it's a sport that played indoors 
And in Iceland, we can, you know, people can train it all year long, which, for example, football, you can't because of the yeah. weather. Yeah. Football is just a summer sport here, uh, but handball is all, all year round. So the kids and everyone can train all year round. Uh, and the same goes in the Arabic countries where the, where is a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So you can play it indoor in a, in a cool setting. So they, uh, the uh, Arabic countries are, are getting very big at handball as well. So um, it's, a, it's a growing international community and, uh, and we love it. So it's, awesome. it's not a lot of things that we are going to do. Eurovision is like probably the strangest thing. Like every British person is like bored with Eurovision. Nobody watches it. <laughs> but please vote for Iceland every single time. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And best of luck in the, in the match tonight then. Hope yeah. you smash those horrible yeah. deans right in the, in the net or the goal. I don't know. How do you score a point in handball? Yeah, it's a, it's a net. You just throw the ball into a net. It's basically football, but with with your hands, and it goes okay. quite quick. So you have like twenty goals in each. Um, so it's quite uh, quite a lot of action. Okay. It's just big guys running around throwing balls into the net, and <laughs> and the, the rest of us are screaming at the. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, are you looking to uh, sort of looking ahead? Are you looking to keep so working in the world of books and uh, screenplays as well, if you want to keep doing both. Yes, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I just like writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to write another stage play. I would love to write more screenplays. That's, that is probably what I will be doing. But I, I think, I mean, my baseline is always the crime novels, the crime books. Uh, now I'm writing a scripted audio series for a streaming service called Storytel which is like an audiobook streaming service, uh, Nordic one. Um, So I'm writing uh, kind of a scripted audio series about Ernest Hemingway. uh, Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, And so there's like um, these acted uh, scenes in it. So it's like in between screenwriting and and, uh, nonfiction, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice. So I think I, I always like a challenge. I like to try new things, but um, I think the books are, are always my, my baseline. So, I mean, are you, are you, you've got a lot of projects on the go. Do you, do you ever take a break from the writing or are you writing every day all the time? I usually write every day. Yes. But uh, I write quite fast. So I, um, I don't write so many hours a day. Uh, I start in the morning with my first cup of coffee and then I write, you know, um, three, four hours maybe. Um, then I stop and do something else in the afternoon because your, your mind is usually uh, empty and you wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be writing more even if you sat at it for the rest of the afternoon. So I like reply and write emails and do practical stuff in the afternoon, you know. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's um, because it's like, uh, like some people say, like eating an elephant, you have to do it in like many small chunks. <laughs> like gradually they will go. I've, comes, I've never know. heard that phrase before. Oh, okay. it makes sense. So maybe it's an Icelandic saying if you don't have any elephants. But <laughs> I like that. Like I'm going to start away. using that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so 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 what's next then is are you is a book four going to be of your um yes i'm uh, i'm finishing this um, this audio series that's going into production so the actors are starting to work on uh, um doing the dialogue and all that and i read in some of my parts uh 
uh, in the studio and then uh, just first of of uh, February, I, I just my my time is devoted to my next novel, which is uh, is the the fourth in the Aurora series. Is there a name for that yet, or is that still under? Yes, rest? there is a name. I think it's um, Dark as Night or something like that. It's nice. for the English title, and then it's going to be Deep as Death, the last one. Oh, nice! I like that. Very good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I read uh, Cold as Hell recently and thought it was excellent. So I really Thank enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. what was the last book you read mm -hmm. yes uh, because i'm writing this uh, this um, series on hemingway i have been reading uh, many biographies of hemingway so i've been reading a book called the hemingway patrols Okay. which is about his U-boat uh, hunting in the Caribbean. He was like a, he was a special guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he did a lot of strange stuff. So he was looking for, uh, for German U-boats the, during the war and uh, on his fishing boat. So and he was going to destroy them on his fishing boat. The Caribbean, was there quite a lot of German boats in the Caribbean? Yes, there were actually. They were sinking a lot of... Uh, um, like these oil ships, tank tankers, and so on. So, um, so they they did sink a lot of ships there, as as they did around Iceland and everywhere, because the the German army they had a lot of U-boats, and and all, all the other countries were way behind, you know. Um, so they actually hired people with fishing boats to to help search for the U-boats, and Lemke <laughs> was one of those. It's a ridiculous story, but. <laughs> Uh, and then I read a book by uh, an Icelandic author called uh, Solveig Pálsdóttir, who is re recently starting to be out in, in English. So uh, she's, a, she's a, a wonderful author. Her, I, I think she has one out in English now called The Fox. Okay. A really good, good awesome. almost on the verge of horror story. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, and what about the last film that you watched? Ooh, last film I think was The Father with, um, oh, with Anthony, Anthony, Hopkins. Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I think it was, uh, of course, very well acted, and it gave you like an insight what it is to have dementia or mm. Alzheimer's. It's like you get really confused as a as a as a viewer, and uh, you can feel his confusion. I think they did that very nicely. It's an interesting film. It's on my list to watch. I've not watched it yet, but yeah. Um... yeah. Because you get this confusion, it's like, where are we? Who is this? Uh, what That's you know? Cool. It's like yeah. you you kind of feel it with the character, so you're like equally confused as he is. Must be a yeah, terrible that... feeling to have, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a clever. It's really, really interesting yeah. to get this insight into it, how it works. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. And uh, what what's the last TV show that you've watched or are watching? Ah. Oh, um, I was watching a show called Manifest. Oh, on, yeah. Uh -huh. On Netflix, uh, just for the recommendation of my parents, which okay. is kind of strange because they have usually ver been very down to earth and they uh, and they recently got Netflix and now they are really into sci-fi, <laughs> which I think is quite mysterious. <laughs> and I would never have thought this was a show they would watch. But uh, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> like a oh, strange show for uh, elderly people to watch, but That's, no. they've always been seeking that out all their all their lives. Yes. <laughs> finally, finally, they've gotten their, their hoot. 
Um, and on, the, yes. <laughs> the very, very last thing we always do is a super quick fire, either or, and okay. there's no right answer apart from one. Okay. Uh, so the first one, uh, and I know it's because you spend time in both of these parts of the world, Iceland or Scotland? Ooh, difficult Scotland. There's <laughs> <laughs> two Scotland answers. Is, that was a great one. <laughs> yeah, Scotland is just like Iceland, but slightly better. You know, it, it, it has bad weather, but still slightly better than Iceland. You know, it has strange food, but still slightly better than Iceland, and so on. You know, I'll take that. That's fantastic. That's good. Bad football team as well, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the killing or trap? They were the killing. Uh, night owl or early bird? Uh, early bird. By training, I make <laughs> myself that way. It's not my natural state of being. Uh, music or no music when you're writing? Ooh, music. Nice. Um, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, and the last one, a real book or ebook? A real book. Paper. Uh. Mm, I, I use both and and the uh, audiobooks as well, but uh, I really like a chunky yeah. book. In I thought head. you might say that after the hardback, what you're saying about the hardback. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, because I, I, I quite like the idea of that kind of being a present, a traditional gift thing. That's quite a nice, uh, a nice yeah. thing like that. It is, and they are ridiculously expensive books in Iceland. A new book uh, published before Christmas is like £45. What? That's nuts. What? That's crazy. Nuts. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, wow. No, yeah. no, no more presents apart from that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> One gift and that's it, you're done. Well, thanks very much to Livia for coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed that chat. And um, I mentioned there when we were talking about the translation the, I couldn't remember if it was Lord of the Rings or Dracula that had been translated from English into Icelandic and had had a completely different story effectively told. And I, I, I've looked it up. It's, it, it was called Powers of Darkness in Iceland. And it's Dracula. And apparently it's a tonally, entirely <laughs> different story. It's almost like... It's a wrong call. guy. Yeah, exactly. The guy got the, 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 the commission to translate this and just decided to, to maybe pull out that manuscript that he always had in his drawer. <laughs> that's, an interesting, that's an interesting plot right there. A translator put yeah. his, own, his own book out. Instead yeah, of exactly. The yeah, there's there's like a comedy <laughs> film for you in there, I think, for um, sure. I mean, it does, it does show you the, uh, the importance of, like, of a good translator and, and, and how that's definitely been recognised now, I think, which we touched on in, on the chat more than, more than ever. You know, it's, 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 it's a... To the point where you're seeing their names on the covers, etc. Like it's a it's a really important job, an unsung hero job, I think, in a lot of translated books. I, I think it is because it's so. Uh, as we were discussing, it's not just a, a word for word translation of yeah. the, the 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 original manuscript. You have to bring that. You have to create a voice that is compelling, and presumably, then if it's the same author, that has that voice has to be consistent throughout all the books so you know it is it's a it's a full-time and very important job and and when it's done well it can create international bestsellers if you look at the likes of Stieg Larsson and yeah yeah. and people like that so yeah it's good that translators are getting that recognition now is it is it kind of like a narrator like you almost you're having that 
intermediary party who's coming in and kind of taking the work and changing it in some way. And if they do a bad job, they kind of could ruin the whole process. Yeah, that's it, right. I, I mean, it, and it must be difficult because obviously Lilia was talking about she can look at the English translations and because mm-hmm. she speaks both, then she enjoys that and she can see the translation happening. But if your book is translated into, for example, Russian, yeah, uh, unless you, you speak Russian, you then clue, you have no yeah. clue as to whether it's a good translation or not. And you just have to go and trust in a way that, that it's telling the same the same story and it's not Powers of Darkness <laughs> Part 2. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, th- I think I've just had a good idea there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, we, we to edit apply this to be a translator yeah. for, for, for various in- great authors from different countries and just pull out all those manuscripts in my drawer. <laughs> Um, but no, thanks very much to to Lilia for coming on to the podcast. We really enjoyed that chat, and um, obviously you can pick up her books. It will put a link in the podcast description. Yeah. So uh, please do go and do that. And then next week we've got another great guest. We have another great guest next week, Will Carver, whose book um, is well, he's had a actually a, a number of books, but perhaps Good Samaritans was this kind of big breakthrough novel yeah. back in twenty eighteen. Um, and he's written Psychopath Anonymous is his most recent book, which he just out, which is um, absolutely fantastic, a kind of standalone novel um, with some ties to his previous stuff. And he's a kind of definitely a kind of crime, but kind of offbeat, weird crime. Um, yeah, it's, it's very dark stuff. It's yeah. not police procedural stuff, and it's but it's dark, but with a with an edge of yeah humor. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely yeah, yeah, and a lot of an sex. Of... If you're into that kind of thing, it's a lot, it's a lot of it. Yeah. But yeah, they're really compelling books. Uh, so we chat to him about that and about the the process of writing that he has, which he's doing on top of, uh, he's, he's very into his fitness. Um, so he, he runs a fitness business as well. He was almost a professional rugby player. So where he squeezes the writing in and, you know, gets to these very dark places. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's really interesting. And chat. raises and Will's, five Will's kids. a great guy to chat to. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, what and do you find? It's, I mean, being incredible. a parent yeah. as well. Like, and as the guy you know, basically... Tar- one is hard enough. <laughs> barely function, never mind. Run a company and write books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, as this podcast shows, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we go, as ever, if you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, do take the time to give us a rating and review and uh, please do subscribe and tell all your friends to subscribe as well because that is another I've, I've been looking into this that's another factor in whether we climb the charts the more new subscribers you get more marco, new followers you what get. You, people have to understand is that marco lives and breathes the apple podcast chart these days it's, it's <laughs> the first thing he checks in the morning it's the last thing he checks at night it's just every other message from him i get is, is where we are in the ranking I, I, i'm thinking of, of asking of starting up a uh, Patreon uh, to fund a Chinese bot farm <laughs> to to just click and follow our that, podcast. That's what the Guardian book did, I think. But uh, sure, they did that. <laughs> and of course, if anyone uh, does want to get in touch, you can always send us an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or uh, they can get in touch on the Twitter machine, which is at right underscore gear. And right is spelt W-R-I-T-E because I think that might have been the reason We've not been getting any mail. They've been spelling it, might it wrong. Be, yeah, yeah, might be yeah. yeah. And also, actually, I should say a, a shout out for another podcast, uh, completely off out of the blue, unknown to us, uh, the the writing and marketing show, 
uh, which is another podcast which gives out great advice for writers, has just done an episode completely dedicated to saying to talking about our notebook, page one, the writer's notebook, uh, and uh, singing its praises, but it breaks down what's in that notebook. So if you have heard these adverts and heard us talking about it and you're not sure about it, then uh, do check out that podcast as well. Uh, we'll put a link to the podcast in the podcast description. Um, but otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later. <laughs>